welcome back to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles. I am ready to talk some fantasy with my friend as well, Dylan, and today we're picking up where Friends Pitching Fantasy left off you know we had our big what should we read next kind of discussion two books came out on top uh the next one of course on our reading schedule was a court of thorns and roses by sarah j moss and we've read it and we're here today to talk about it isn't that right Dylan? that's exactly right charles <laughs> i couldn't have said it better myself we read a book and we're here to talk about the book that we read so, oh yeah uh, yeah it's uh, yes, it's one of the two books that came out on top in our Friends Pitching Fantasy episode. It's a little outside of our typical uh, reads because it falls into more of a fantasy romance category. Charles, we mm-hmm. we typically dive into more of the epic fantasy, the high fantasy, the grim dark fantasy, mm-hmm. and. It was time, Charles. It was time for you and me, of all people, to <laughs> discuss a right. fantasy romance and our takes on it. I I think some folks out there, based on our social media uh, feedback, are excited to hear what might be a, a little bit different take, uh, some different perspectives than uh, the typical podcast that focuses on uh a Court of Thorns and Roses, the massively popular uh, first book of a massively popular series from number one New York Times bestseller, Sarah J. Moss. That's right. Of all of the romantic fantasies to dive into, you know, I, I think we picked a very safe pool to dive in here with A Court of Thorns and Roses, massively popular, you know, huge amount of you know, traffic and sales and conversation around these books, a lot of love for these books. Um it was interesting when we pitched them. It wasn't like the most requested by like our social media audience, but I do think there was that niche group that was like, ooh, you guys don't normally talk about this. This could be something interesting to dive into, and we couldn't agree more. And that's why we're here. And, you know, we haven't, we talked about it a little bit through text as we were going through reading it, but we haven't really dived into it yet. I, I know your first impressions, but maybe we should be sharing them with the audience. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, let's get into those before we get into the spoiler section. Mm-hmm. I will say, Charles, on the point of the social media stuff, it might not have won the votes once we start uh, tallying up Twitter uh, polls and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think if you just looked at comments, I would say oh, yeah. it would appear that this is the one that uh, folks were most interested well in. Said. I think that, yeah. Uh, so I think that the the more vocal side of the fan base so rather than necessarily the folks scrolling by and just like who happen to be following us because we've accumulated a fan base primarily focused on other subgenres of fantasy uh i think uh, it makes sense that most of our following kind of click the stuff they're used to but the the folks who want to reach out and talk they want to hear us talk about <laughs> this and, of course, our first impressions of this book, like you said, Charles. And yep. I have a very positive first impression to share with you and our listeners because uh, 
It is a very entertaining read, I would say. Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense why these have had the huge appeal that they have. The book, I mean, the pacing is awesome. You gotta give it that. It's like, uh, there are things that happen in terms of like the story really getting going. I mean, even getting to the stuff, like I think it's fair to talk about it's back of the book uh, stuff. So I, I don't consider that spoilers. Like her getting taken to uh, the uh, fairy court and all that kind of stuff. It's like, there's all sorts of books that would just like dilly dally for the first mm-hmm. hundred pages before things really get going or whatever. Like Sarah J. Moss, she has a gift for getting the story to move along mm-hmm. and uh, getting us to places we need to be to tell an entertaining story. And it's like every oh, yeah. chapter, something is happening mm-hmm. that is fun and entertaining and often and sometimes spicy so charles i yeah i really (laughs) enjoyed the book uh primarily for those aspects but of course for other aspects as well how about you charles i would agree you know the thing that i you know there's a few things that i knew not many things going into this one was that it was a romance story so immediately when things happen i'm like ooh, they're gonna get together so that was you know you know <laughs> a, a piece of that or maybe they won't who knows it's still the spoiler free section mm. there's all kinds of exciting well they won't they tension here but you just know going into it that something steamy is gonna happen so every time they like talk to each other you're like is this this the moment are we gonna get the steam so that was kind of a fun experience but to your point the pacing in a genre and i'm talking about the fantasy genre at large pacing can be one of the hardest things to get down there's so much need to like explore your world explore your characters explore the politics have people talking in rooms debating decisions weighing decisions this and that and certainly all of that is in here but i agree with you 100 percent dylan the pacing was um first rate really very good and and that and that makes it like more entertaining one and number two i feel like it makes it more accessible as well which is why it's had this like mainstream success the accessibility of this book i think is very very high while not being like i'm gonna say while not being dumb and what i mean by not being dumb it's not like (laughs) some stupid fluffy romance story that uses little words and doesn't challenge you at all it's not like that it it is a it's a serious work of you know fiction and and it's not like it's not written like at a preschool level or anything but through the fact of having this engaging where are all these books written at preschool levels (laughs) you know like one romance book now so i (laughs) I think what you're trying to get at is this idea of like what you were talking about when I first pitched it, which is like, uh, is this another Twilight? And Twilight was geared toward a younger audience. Or even like Fifty Shades of Grey, which gets slammed. I don't know how well Twilight was written or not written. I don't know. I've never read it. (laughs) Right. The prose of those books, like it gets lambasted oftentimes Mm -hmm. because... uh, it's not very strong and i think that those books serve they serve the purpose they serve very well Uh, but uh, this book and it's something that i got into in my my pitch which is uh, based a lot on what my girlfriend who's a huge fan of the series was saying is like even if this book was not like very focused on this spicy romance Mm -hmm. it would still be a really interesting entertaining fantasy book Mm -hmm. and i think 
it's got a like a lot going for it in that sense because people like you and me who maybe wouldn't flock to a book that's just pure romance and sacrificing quality of prose and sacrificing uh, character building and sacrificing world building all stuff it doesn't sacrifice that in fact it uh, it finds a way to include all of that in a way that like someone like you or me who's used to reading fantasy books that aren't necessarily romance like can sink our teeth into those aspects of it and we can also appreciate the romance uh, Mm -hmm. parts it's not leaning on like oh if you if you're not completely enraptured by the romance like Mm -hmm. you're not going to enjoy it at all it's not leaning on that it's Mm -hmm. got all these other things that are enjoyable and of course the romance is well written so we did at least i did and i'm sure it sounds like you did too. Enjoy yeah. the romance aspects of it. I, I did enjoy it, but I also, you know, as much as this is touted as a romance book, I, I think other things kind of take the spotlight. Like the character work in here is very good. Um, there is certainly a lot of action and a lot of stakes as well. Like really interesting stakes that we'll get into in the in the, in the spoiler version. But I, I think that's what helps it kind of break out from, from uh, like a, what could be like a, for lack of a word, like a trashy romance novel, which it's not at all. You know, it, it is like a it is a fantasy story worthy of the, its success and praise beyond just the fact that it's a good romance. It, it there's a lot of other stuff in here that I, I like very well, but I don't want to get into that without giving our spoiler disclaimer. Of course, I, I would just say, hey, anyone in the fantasy genre looking to dabble in romance fantasy like this is a great pick um i would say if you're trying to recommend fantasy to like a significant other or you know a a friend that maybe is on the fringe of fantasy and and not really ready to dive into something crazy like a sanderson chihuahua killer uh, this is a very approachable read as well (laughs) you you can't really go wrong with it um so uh, that's just all i want to take away in the spoiler free version segment definitely that yeah, that word you used earlier, the accessibility of the book, it makes it so easy to recommend. And even, like you said, the Sanderson books, which are uh, in themselves New York Times bestsellers, but mm-hmm. those hu- humongous thousand plus page books that we affectionately call Chihuahua Killers, uh, yeah. they, I, even though so many people love them, I find myself reticent to recommend someone pick up the way of kings despite how much i love it because how do you recommend a thousand plus page book to someone who's like not part one of like a ongoing thousand plus page book series like talk about a literal barrier to entry am i right those things take a whole shelf (laughs) that's a solid wall right there those four books all together That they are, and Sarah J. Moss comes in with this. Uh, yeah, it's got it's four hundred plus page uh, book, I think. Like I kindled it, so I'm not. I wasn't trying that super closely, but I think that's it. So it's it's got some substance to it, yeah. but it it moves so quickly. Like it's such an easy read. We did that episode yeah. a while back. That was like uh, top fantasy books to take on vacation, which. I think this would be a oh, yeah. perfect fit for. I read it on oh, vacation yeah. and I was like, this is exactly what you need. It's got stuff to really lose yourself into, but it's not like this really 
hard to read. Like it's got the magic of, oh, I feel like I'm in this world without having to bombard you with all this world building to make you feel that way in some thousand page right. epic. So, and what's nice is Sarah it J. is Moss book one of a five book series, but the story is very contained. Like I, I feel pretty yeah. good about reading like this one book that I got a full experience. You know, sometimes in fantasy, it's not so simple. It's like, okay, well, Harry Potter has to go back to school like six more times. I'm like, you know, it's like, it's for six more years. But no, you can read this. And if you liked it, but your vacation's over and you don't want to pick up another one, you'll get the experience. But if you want it to keep going, if you're looking for that experience, the potential is there. So um, I think that's a really interesting piece about it as well. That again, lends to its accessibility. It's, it's, it's mass appeal potential is being able to give you that both experiences, whichever, depending on what you're looking for. For sure. The phrase that we like to use and what I've heard from folks in the publishing industry is standalone with sequel potential. And that's Mm -hmm. what they usually are looking for in Mm -hmm. a book one when a new author writes one. I mean, Sarah J. Moss obviously has this huge fan base that will consume whatever she puts out there. You see those comments are like, I would read her grocery list. It's like, (laughs) I I do think people would buy that if she (laughs) released it. So uh, I don't think she's worried about like... tomatoes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't think she's worried about not being able to write a sequel to this or anything like that, but she's still... gives her uh, readers like the benefit of a book that tells a complete story. So that's probably one one of the last things that's good to get in to before we get into the spoiler section, just us saying, because uh, I always want to know that. I'm like, if I read this book one, like, am I going to feel like I have to read the next book in order to even yeah. like get a complete story. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to feel like I have to read the next book, but I want to feel that way because I enjoyed the first so much that I right. just can't wait. Right. Uh, this definitely makes lots of people feel that way that they can't wait to read the next one, but it does tell a complete story. So like Charles said, yeah. uh, take on your vacation and if vacation's over and books over, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to read the next one, or maybe you're waiting for your next vacation to grab yeah, book right. two, because right, right. you will you will get a full story with a lot left over mm-hmm. to to dive into in future books. But we have a lot less left to dive into ourselves uh, in this oh, yeah. episode because we've got mm-hmm. to get into the the deep depths of spoiler territory, the and juicy think, details, my friend. <laughs> oh yeah, the juicy details are coming. So, uh, those of you who've not yet read *A Court of Thorns and Roses*, who are not among the one point six seven million, whatever it is, people that have rated it on Goodreads alone, uh, you folks, you can join the horde that we are now a part of and go get yourself a, a copy, read it. Come back here but we're gonna get into spoilers from here on out Mm -hmm. uh spoilers for a court of thorns and roses just book one here charles and i have not yet read beyond this so uh yeah we couldn't spoil anything for you even if we wanted to but true uh, we will yes book one is entirely fair game from here on out uh but yeah if you don't want to get those spoilers now's a good time to turn this down in your headphones well said, Dylan. And now here we are, you know, in the spoiler-free section. I think the first thing that I really wanted to kind of get into, you know, we talked about the accessibility 
and, and like the pacing of it, right? That the fast pacing and one of my favorite parts of this whole story was the was the beginning where she's hunting in the woods and she's hunting the deer and then the wolf shows up like very strong start to this book and very strong introduction to our main character Feyre who I have a lot of opinions about and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely do. But yeah, we start with that scene. It gave me real Hunger Games vibes. Yeah. Uh, and there were a couple mm. parts of the book that gave me Hunger Games vibes. Uh, oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, but it's a completely different story. It's just the more like very zoomed out, like this person is uh, a hunter who's had to struggle to get yeah. by in this uh, situation, but she's about to experience some like totally lavish world. Uh, like that is, that was very hungry. And, you know, got the bow and arrow and the whole deal. So mm-hmm. uh, Feyre though, very different character from Katniss. I would say it was a lot more personality than Katniss had. Um, but uh, we, yeah, we get the introduction of her uh, hunting. She kills this wolf. She even kind of has in her head, maybe it's a fairy, uh, but right. she doesn't know. And she ends up killing it. And yeah, we we pretty much get a pretty typical, although abbreviated compared to some other books <laughs> version of this. Like, here's her day-to-day life. She's a hunter and she goes to the market and that kind of stuff. But right. I like how actually kind of quick we get to like Tamlin bust down the door in his yeah. beast form. And, <laughs> right. Uh, like takes her away. When that happened, I was like, yes, like let's get yes. this going. <laughs> I remember we kind of <laughs> talked about that. That was like the first indication that this book was not going to waste our time, right? Because you could have so easily gone multiple days of them just being cold and hungry in the humble cottage you know and then all of a sudden the book is and then this giant werewolf busts the door down and screams at us and it's end of chapter and you're like okay like let you let and i was i remember feeling so happy i was like yes thank you for doing that because i wasn't i wasn't feeling weighed down yet but I was only when I that scene happened, I realized like, oh, we're we're moving, we're clipping here. Like, thank you. Let's go to the next thing. I was entertained that full way. Like, I, I wasn't feeling the slowdown at all. But I think Sarah J. Moss knew it's like, okay, the, the story's not about this piece. Everyone knows from the back of the book, it's about getting kidnapped or getting taken and going to fairyland. So let's go ahead and get that get that moving. And I, you know, that whole initial first act there I, I was very interested by and it's interesting Dylan that you were managed to I, I think the way she's able to do a lot of that and not dwell on it is she does pull from a lot of like yes but so she has a lot of these tools in her arsenal of like okay Hunger Games this Twilight that um you know <laughs> fantasy this like what whatever it is right like it, it, it doesn't dwell too much on building this world because it's rooted very much in a reality that we're all like familiar with and like fantasy tropes that we're familiar with. But the way she then twists Feyre, like you, you read like Harry Potter or something and like Harry Potter's perfect and everyone likes him and he's so humble and nice and you just insert yourself into him and you like him. And then you read Feyre and you just are constantly frustrated by her and confused by her but yet her likability stays up and she keeps the story moving and she keeps you entertained and i think that was a really smart choice with the character of Feyre, right it's like we can pull on all these fantasy elements but here's a character that's just gonna 
blunder through. She's going to be strong-headed, a bit ignorant, a bit obstinate, and she's just going to like blow through all these things in a way the reader probably never would. There were so many times I was reading Pharaoh oh, yeah. making decisions, <laughs> and I was like, horrible choice. Like, how is it you're making the worst choice possible? But it's true to her, and it keeps the story moving and fun, but you would never identify with it, like, at all. <laughs> yeah, I kept saying to my partner, I was like... When I was reading, I was like, I'd be the most boring fantasy protagonist because all these moments where it's like, stay at home and paint and like, you'll be safe. Uh, like when the surreal is telling her that I would be like, okay, got it. I'm not going to leave. Like I'll hang out here. It's a real nice setup I've got. I can engage with my hobbies. And it would be the most boring book because <laughs> it would be me sitting, you know, I, would painting be my thing? Not necessarily. Uh, I would probably be reading or something. But, you know, the the idea of what I would do versus what Feyre would do, my story would be extremely boring. But luckily, mm-hmm. we have Feyre as our protagonist. But uh, you, you did mention, I, I want to double down on this, Sarah J. Moss has this understanding of the... Uh, the things that we as readers know, like, you know this, like, that's what mm-hmm. you're saying about the, oh, this is Hunger Games, this is like Twilight, it's like, uh, and because of that, she can gives the, give the bare bones of mm-hmm. a, like, life lived in poverty and hunt, and she's the hunter, and that kind of stuff, and she can allow us to fill in the gaps, and I, it's like, all that kind of stuff is just, like, beautiful understanding of reader experience and respect to the reader experience we we say that a lot of times when we talk about sanderson especially when it comes to something like mistborn or warbreaker like this this understanding and respect for reader experience mm-hmm. i want to say that like uh, that is one of sarah j moss's greatest strengths in my opinion oh, yeah. and one of the reasons why it is so accessible like we're saying and and then you mentioned she twists it with Feyre and I I absolutely love proactive protagonists even if they end up doing things that I would never <laughs> she's do she's very proactive so but <laughs> she's extremely proactive uh she's and like, I'm gonna run into this trap and get myself killed okay well <laughs> Full yeah speed. it's it's annoying when passive protagonists just sit there and the world moves it revolves around them in whatever way it's like because you have to sit in their head and just like be boring and it's like this is a huge criticism of uh, like bella from twilight and one of the things i think differentiates these two books like bella just sits there and all the characters around her do stuff and that's you know i haven't read twilight that's just the criticism that i'm parroting Uh, Mm. i i believe the criticism so you know let me know if the if this is incorrect uh but it's yeah it's refreshing to hit on a lot of these notes that we're familiar with while having a a protagonist who's very proactive be put in that kind of situation but, mm-hmm. yeah pharaoh i approve of the way right. that she's written in that sense right and i see like when i look at like user reviews for a court of thorns and roses like one of the main criticisms is people frustrated with the character and for me that's almost like a plus because 
you need a character who's going to kind of stumble through a few things to keep the action going. And sure, we could like, you know, Sanderson would dedicate chapters and chapters of weaving in motifs that would lead to a character making a decision. But it's another thing when literally a chapter before you have these fairy creatures being like, be careful, there's creatures out there that can play tricks on your mind and attempt to lure you out. And then that night, she looks out her window, it's like, that's my dad, let me run out and get to him. <laughs> and like, literally running out and almost gets herself killed. I'm sure every reader in the universe is like, Pharaoh, what the heck are you doing? But it helps us see like how compelling some of these effects are, how, you know, Pharaoh is not just going to go along to the beat of someone else's drum she's gonna be contrarian almost all the time and it's funny where she's like i have to leave at any second and then he's like okay you can go and she's like i have to go back i have to stay and so it's you're just like oh god pharaoh like every second you're just fighting 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 and that gets us to the end too which i kind of want to save for later but all i wanted to say about this beginning piece was you know Sarah J. Moss has some writing chops and she's got master pacing and she's got the character work going with Feyre. So all in all, I, I was I was very impressed with the first like third of this. I was impressed with the whole thing, but specifically that was what shined for me in the first like third of this book. Definitely what shined for me as well in the first third. I think that we, we also have to keep in mind that Feyre is 19, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes that gets lost in in the reader experience. Like we're two uh, like two guys are early thirties reading this, <laughs> and it's like <laughs> our behaviors might be significantly different than Feyre, and that's mm-hmm. good character building because if Feyre would to make were to make the decision of a thirty one year old man who grew up on Long Island, like <laughs> that probably is not good character writing. Yeah, nineteen, um. <laughs> but she also spent most of her life like in poverty in a in yes. a co- in a frozen cottage hunting for food. Also, so she mm-hmm. even has that distinction separate from like her sisters, where it's like, oh, they are still have some of the I mean, maintain some of their nobility. They can read and write. They can do this, and I can't do any of that. So she's literally going from being completely isolated in every way to. Some big deal social interactions going on and uh, and is expected to navigate that. So you can imagine how she's almost at the very beginning. She's like, you know, pocketing kitchen knives under her sleeve and things yeah. like that. It's just like those kind of base instincts, which can so easily be a trope, especially in a romance where it's like, oh, you've got the like, you know, a woodsy survival girl who's like borderline feral pocketed knives and trying to run away this and that and then you have the noble guy and they're like odd couple situation but it's a bit more complicated than that not too much more complicated but a bit more and enough that makes it sort of interesting and uh engaging in a lot of ways i was always engaged and entertained and invested in in the characters yeah I mean, if she grew up in a, with how she grew up, if she just sat there and let things happen and didn't go out there and take all these risks and make all Mm -hmm. these things happen, her and her family would have been dead. Yes. She was in a position where she had to be like this and she's taking that into a new world where it doesn't work anymore where she's completely unfamiliar with what's going on around her but it it makes sense that when she's taken from her previous life and just plopped into a fairy world that she's uh, (laughs) not going to just 
like be like, oh, and now I just sit here because that makes sense. It's like, no, I'm going to do the things that have always helped me get by and survive in my previous life because people don't get out of those patterns or behaviors so easily. And she keeps doing that even though, and she keeps fighting everyone like you're saying. She's fighting against Tamlin who just like right away is just like this perfect gentleman. He just does everything (laughs) nice and right and he's polite. I think at every turn, he pretty much, besides the kidnapping her, which in the beginning at least we think that that he basically had to do that to mm-hmm. save her. Obviously, right. we find out later that he <laughs> just made all that up in order to fix Break the a curse. curse that was on him. Right, yeah. right. And we'll, we could right. talk about Tamlin and all of that, but um, yeah, I see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm just, we'll get into Tamlin because I don't have much to, more to say on, on the whole thing. It's just that she's fighting Tamlin and that every step of the way he appears to be doing everything as nice as possible. And he's like a perfect toast. Lucian kind of mm-hmm. a jerk at first, but still like no one's mm-hmm. doing anything bad to her besides no. the thing that we think that they had to do because she killed the, uh, the fairy and the treaty says so. But right. That's, that's all on that. And and that's an interesting, like, the treaty is interesting, right? Like, literally, day one, she kills a wolf. Day two, another wolf bursts down the door and says, because of the magic treaty, I'm taking you to my place. And then they go. You know, it, it, we're not dwelling on any of it. And it, it's like, okay, like, you, you can't scrutinize too hard. You got to be along for the ride. And I'm always... I'm always down for that as a reader, you know? I'm like, okay, we're just trying to get to Fairyland as quickly as possible. You don't need to, like, validate that experience for me. It doesn't have to feel, like, super believable to, to, to get going because it's the, it's the magic, right? It's the, it's the treaty. So because of magic, you now owe your life to me. And it's like, okay, let's go. And then we get into Fairyland, and that's when we really get to see our characters, uh, Tamlin and Lucian, which, you know... Everyone that praises the book, like a lot of people are like hot heartthrobs for Tamlin. Like people are really out there, um, r- really like digging him. And and I don't know, I don't know. I I like Tamlin Ooh, as a character, but of all the characters, of all the characters, he was my least favorite. But I see the appeal. I find him, you know, it, it's good. It's all good. He, he's just too noble, you know. He's noble at every yeah. possible turn. And even when he wasn't noble, it was because he was being so noble. He had to be not noble, you know, and you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, let's keep it like like it, it, he ended up getting a perfectly squeaky clean record at the end. And you're like, ah, well, that's a good old Tamlin for you. So noble. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the only thing that you could say is not squeaky about him and how he behaved like he he did kidnap her when he didn't have to. Did he have to 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 break this curse and save uh it's uh was it it's uh print printhian yeah printhian right yeah Yeah. we'll Uh, go with printhian either way yeah we'll go with printhian there's an n in there right yeah prithian 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 Prithian. Prithian, we got it. Uh, anyway, we're just because we keep saying fairyland, and I feel like we're <laughs> gonna get some. Like, there's huge. Uh, they, 
I don't know what they call themselves. Uh, moss heads. Um, uh. Not moss holes. Um, <laughs> they... <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like people from Massachusetts. People call them massholes. <laughs> you know, Charles. You're, you're yeah, of, you're of Massachusettsian heritage. But yes, it's, I'm a direct yeah, descendant. <laughs> right. So yeah, we'll we'll call them mossheads. Uh, I I don't want to insult them by calling it fairyland. It's Prithian, mm-hmm. uh, and we are in the spring Fair. court. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, the highest of the spring court. He is. He is the High mm-hmm. Lord. Uh, so I got totally distracted by this whole thing. What point was I? Oh, the only thing that's not squeaky clean about him would be that he, you know, he did have to save the all of Prithian. So he kind of had to kidnap her and do all that for the greater good. But then he even like kind of goes back on that. He's like, I love you so much and I care about you so much. Obviously, he doesn't say all this explicitly, but he's like, that you should leave and I'll doom the entire world just for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. And I don't know. Like, kind of both of those things are bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which I, <laughs> so, Right. He does some, but it's definitely the way he's painted is so noble and mm-hmm. so like the idealized man. And everything right. he does is the perfect romantic partner and in that way he gets robbed of some complexity but also even amarantha desires him you know like so you know that it's you know he he, he's he's hot stuff right like no doubt about it (laughs) oh yeah and they have a whole ceremony where like he gets all the fairy magic and then gets his pick Pick of all the la- the fairy ladies, uh, and they all will willingly, you know, be with him, and they create all of the magic. You know, like this is this is the guy. You know, this is about a, as big as it gets. Oh yeah, this is definitely the guy. I think that it's it makes sense from the perspective of like we're trying to we're trying to write this romance that does have a very clear like self-insert aspect to it even if Feyre isn't exactly how a lot of people like uh, are like her behaviors aren't what they would behave in like the the reader base that she's going after is supposed to like put themselves in the position of Feyre like falling for Tamwin like that mm-hmm. is the romance aspect of it, and Charles, I don't know if you you quite got there where mm-hmm. you felt like you were Feyre falling in love with Tamlin. It sounds mm-hmm. like you did not, uh, but f- I think him being so noble and sure, I see the way. appeal. It's, it's all like, part of what she's doing, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the whole like middle middle act here, the whole middle third where they're in um, Prithian, Prithian, and Prithian. Um, Prithian. Uh, when they're in Prithian, in the spring court, of which Tamlin is the high lord, uh, and you know, <laughs> it, it? It, from when they get there and it starts off a little rocky and there's this like communication barrier, there's, you know, this approachability barrier, you know, Lucian is, you know, being a little extra teasing and this and that. And then watching that like slowly erode was like you know, this whole like slow burn of their relationship, I thought was very good because, you know, everyone says, oh, it's a Beauty and the Beast retelling this and that. And it's like kind of like it. But I feel like the relationship is a little bit different. And I was along for the ride because 
Sarah J. Moss, although she keeps the pace moving, right, and she doesn't dwell too much on, you know, because magic and this and that, at least she developed where it counted, one with her main character, and I'd say the other one is is with this relationship. She brought out these key attributes both in Tamlin and in Feyre that would make them like a compatible match because for me, like when I think about things, I'm like, okay, you have this immortal fairy lord of the spring court why would he care at all about some random 19 year old you know just like well, we should i i do think it's kind of we'll get into the the, the yeah. age gap a little bit but, but go forward and we'll, right it's we'll backtrack like to it at least there's a justification for it around that you know pharah has also had to sacrifice for the greater good of the people in her world her family um she also you know, is willing to, you know, be compassionate for those that are suffering. There was a great scene where uh, Tam, uh, Tamlin brings home that, that fairy that was just absolutely butchered. And, and Pharaoh was she there to She took my wings, Charles. She took my wings. She took my wings. Yeah. So, like, that was another very well-written, like, that heavy was scene. And to me, that was part of their, like, budding romance. They, like, made a huge connection there and it's funny that that was like a super sad and depressing like you're not like ooh, they're in love but you're like oh they're actually connecting and it's very serious like you know another thing that strikes me interesting we could talk about this later is that this is kind of couched between young adult and this budding new genre called new adult and and, and just tr- like like i mean this isn't young adult no it's not it's, but it was marketed i would say that new way. adult is yeah, I know. I it just... was marketed that way. And, and that's the point I want to make. Was, it's very mature content in a lot of ways. Like, not just, you know, in the romance, but in the brutality and the violence that we see. Yeah. And, you know, people literally getting, like, limbs chopped off and dying slow, horrible, painful deaths. You know, there's a lot of suffering and anguish and as people are facing their mortality when they die, you know. And, and, and it's and it's heavy. And I like that she included those elements because a lot of times you think that would be off-putting for a romance, right? Like, no one wants to read about bloody stumps where wings used to be and someone just rambling their final death rattles before they die and you're holding them covered in blood. Like, no one is getting romantic feelings from that. But Sarah J. Moss is like, no, this is what the people want. This is what I'm going to write. And it just works. It just works in yeah. a way that I am that I appreciate more than a sappy, like, lifetime romance. You know, it's the, it's the difference. Yeah. From the bloody stumps where that, uh, <laughs> from where that fairy's wings used to be, mm-hmm. uh, blossomed a beautiful new romance. Mm-hmm. And that fairy had to die for this romance just one of many deaths that had to happen for this relationship (laughs) to work i think like five people had to get (laughs) killed brutally for this (laughs) worth it worth it so (laughs) but we're at two right now right because we're at um our first guy here what was it andrews yeah okay and then we got the 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 she took my wings guy so that's two now that have had to die (laughs) we'll keep the body count going right but we're at two right we now. know at least two more are coming <laughs> yeah. so oh don't we we'll, we'll see if we yeah we'll see if we can find any more but yeah just to backtrack quick to the age gap that you mentioned <laughs> can we this does have that like classic twilight yeah. thing that like 
you know, maybe like kind of pops up in your head when you're reading it, but then you kind of like forget it and you move forward, but it does deserve uh, some attention here. She's a 19 year old and he is like, who knows how old, like hundreds, hundreds of thousands like, of years old. I don't know about like, thousands because they're hundreds? like, oh, I was a child when, you know, the slavery was abolished. I had nothing to do with my family's slavery and killing of people. I was a kid. Yeah, but what's know? a child? We've got Alice, like, she's like, that's true. Oh, yeah, I'm raising two youngins. They're uh, both in their 50s. And it's like, in my head, I'm like thinking of stepbrothers with Will Ferrell and, I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> and John C. Riley. They're yeah, like, they're she's... like coming over. Yeah, they're coming, coming home to, to John C. Riley and Will Ferrell. <laughs> right. That's what that's who Alice is raising. And she, she brings them into Tamlin's house and they're like, oh, my God, this place is huge. We're going to have so much room for activities. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but so that's what was going on in my head uh, when they do cast this TV show. Uh, I would give anything for them to cast Will Ferrell and John C. Riley as uh, Alice's <laughs> two uh, like younglings that she's taking care of who are only right. in their fifties. Right. But uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, we've got uh, this nineteen-year-old girl who's let's say hundreds of years old is uh, Tamlin. Uh, so. That's super creepy, right? Like, imagine if this was like a 38 year old, like, balding man. It would be or like 50 or 60. Like, you know sure, what they say? I'm, There's I'm only one to go that thing an immortal just... being would want with a 19 year old, and it's not their <laughs> mature personality, okay? Is not right. that. <laughs> and also, well, it's like, well, oh, you, you to say, took like... her, like, out of this isolated environment. You made her dependent on you. You got her trapped in groomy. your house. Yeah, a little groomy, a little Stockholm syndrome which is in line with the Beauty and the Beast tale, by the way. Yes. I guess they have that Fair. in common as a retelling. But, uh, yeah, there's those elements in that for sure. Yeah, I'm just trying to give a, like, still not an old person, but just, like, I'm imagining this, like, 39-year-old balding man, if he did the things that Tamlin did, it's like, what is that guy, like, trying to do with that 19-year-old? This is disgusting. Yeah. But imagine, if it's, like, a Leonardo DiCaprio uh, like or something, hundreds right? of like your, a beautiful sure. movie star everyone loves. And he brings that 19-year-old to the red carpet, and you're like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And it is gross. I, I'm not defending the Leonardo DiCaprios of the world. I think that's gross, too. But I also think it's kind of gross when you think about it. It's really gross when you think hard about it. Uh, that Tamlin is hundreds of years old and, uh, like, it kind of puts her in this weird, isolated situation when she's 19. But it's almost like once you start getting to, like, immortal beings and hundreds of years old, it becomes, like gibberish like nonsense and you just like stop even thinking about right, it right. well if it's like an accessible age like leonardo dicaprio whatever he is in his 50s let's say uh, like it's something you can actually imagine yourself being and then right. you think about like oh my god like imagine being a 50 year old interested in 19 year old that's gross you have to make but, them like younger appearing you have to make them handsome and noble and then you also have to make them a little sparkly. <laughs> I, I, you know, that worked for Twilight and it works for <laughs> for uh, Court of Thrones and Roses too. If they sparkle, you know, then they're good. Then they could date 19-year-olds and it's cool. You know? And then when you bring in the magic curse, true love, this and that, you can get He had to do it for the greater good. The greater good. He had to do it. Oh, poor Tamlin. That's the other thing that kind of confused me. I was like, 
Okay, <laughs> you have this this woman, right? This big villain. Her name is uh, Amarantha. Amarantha, right? So you have Amarantha, whose claim to fame was inviting everyone to a dinner and betraying <laughs> yeah, them all going. and stealing their power. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, if I play her game and I win. She'll give it all up. She'll play fair. And I'm like, why is everyone playing this girl's game? Like, she made the spell. She's not just going to give up the power, you know? That's, like, the thing I didn't understand about that whole premise of, oh, this was actually a whole long con of you have to make a human person that hates fairies fall in love with you. It's like, one, that's a crazy premise to prove. The fact they even pulled it off, like, find a chick that hates fairies and kill them and then is interested in Tamlin. Like, that's a huge success. But then it's like, okay, let's say she did say I love you. You think she was going to, you know, give it all up? I, I highly doubt it. And as we saw in the in the trial, she didn't give it up either until, you know, the, the catch-all, which we'll get to later. I have very many opinions on that. But, um, you know, it, it, it's just some of those things. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll suspend our disbelief here a little bit. And, I, I you know, this story, it's entertaining. It, it's surface level in a lot of ways. And I find it's like, don't push, you know? Like, don't don't look at this relationship too, too hard. Don't start counting age. It's just a number, okay? Don't question the situation around it and, and just roll with it because it's not ultimately important to the story it's not what's entertaining and engaging and interesting about the story what's interesting about the story is is these characters getting together and making that connection and doing things like going on dates and like we mentioned the she took my wings guy but i also like the scene where they go swimming and he tells like a like a dirty joke or a dirty limerick or something and Feyre laughs for the first time like those are very endearing moments that I liked quite a bit so that process of getting and then of course the payoff with the romance like all of that it does like you you don't want to scrutinize or criticize the details too hard because we're not focusing on solidifying those details we're just focused on telling you an entertaining juicy story and that's what we're doing here as fun as it is to criticize the age gap it's still a good relationship there's still those good moments like that she took my wings and and when they go swimming that i actually thought were really well written and and really enjoyable yeah i totally agree i mean i enjoyed the romance it's just that every once in a while it like <laughs> pops back into your head because of some like cue like him being like i was a child during that thing that happened hundreds of years ago or whatever and you're like oh wait yeah that this is kind of gross and then you go on and you keep reading because it is <laughs> that like i'm saying it becomes after they're hundreds of years old and immortal but they look like they're like 20 it's like it becomes and favor is a very mature 19 okay she's had to raise her whole family (laughs) sure sure like those are like the justification so you start hearing (laughs) that you know you know when they start rationalizing like that you're like this is bad isn't it she can't legally drink alcohol but she can save all of uh all of printhia printhian i don't know what the like it seems like the alcohol laws are not very strict in uh no the fairy wine flows freely for sure for sure (laughs) we haven't even gotten into that piece with um what is his name recent right the the high lord of the night court um and all the stuff he was doing to take advantage of prithian prithian right there's an n at the end yeah but is it (laughs) is it like of 
Prithia, <laughs> Prithian, like are there different No, I think Prithian that was what was confusing me as well. Right, right. It's like it is you're not just because you Prithian. are Prithian from Prithian. Yes. My name is Tamlin. I'm from Prithian. And I am Prithian. Yes. Okay, got it. Got it. That's I what to say like, From a but... readability standpoint, that's my one criticism for Sarah J. Moss's <laughs> writing. It's like I cannot process this Prithian as a as a name of a whatever is like continent or what have you. It's fairyland. <laughs> fairyland, sure. Uh, but missed opportunity. I'm trying to get it. Yeah. So you were mentioning something about Reese, Reesey boy. Oh yeah, I like Reesey boy. I mean, I li- there is this questionable moment. He's in the a middle. lot more interesting than Tamlin. We'll say Way that. Like, he's a more. lot more and complex. And I see, like, I'm calling more... this. Okay, obviously they were oh. teasing it at the end. It's like, yeah. I don't think everything's gonna go well with Tamlin forever. Yeah. You know, I think she may go and leave and hang out with Reese for a while and come back. You know, I, I think there's a budding romance going on over here too. You know, I, like what oh, are the, yeah. Team Edward or Team Jacob? You know, I think we're getting another candidate, another suitor right. over here. I totally agree. I've never I read Twilight, that... by the way. I just know a lot of things <laughs> from being... <laughs> I should read it at this it point. It was so big pop culture-wise. I'm like comparing but... it, uh, this book, against my uh, interpretation of what I've heard of Twilight. <laughs> it's like, it's kind right. of weird, the kind of standards that this book is being compared against. It's not even anything real. <laughs> no, it's not. I think, yeah, there's a budding romance. I said to my partner right away, I was like... They might go for a tumble in the sheets, these two. Like, right when Reese got involved. It's funny, as a character, he is, yeah, he's kind of, to Tamlin's, like, uh, bright and noble and blonde. Uh, like, Reese is the tall, dark, and handsome with the, like, bad boy side. So we do need to, uh, you know, we need to have her explore that probably in future books. And these, like, spicy romance books, it's like, I mean, how much can we really enjoy over the course of, like, five books of her, like, having a really stable relationship with Tamlin that's, like, loving and monogamous? It's like, yeah, at some point, right? She's got a... Like I've seen Get True Blood, I know how it goes in uh, in um, Twilight. Like you gotta have the bad boy come in and tempt the main character. You yeah. know we need that, and so Reese fits the bill pretty darn good. Um, I mean, I don't know where where the heck do we go next? Because there's all the stuff that happened with that fairy ceremony that a lot of people on Goodreads anyway, you know, jump all over with, with, with Tamarind, like being high on fairy magic and kind of jumping on poor Feyre there a little bit. And then you have, that's where we meet Lucian, who, who saves um You mean where Feyre. we meet Recent? Yeah, we meet Recent. At, what did I say? Meets Feyre. Lucian. Oh, yeah. Oh, we don't meet you said Lucian. Prithian? <laughs> <laughs> a lot Prithian? of things end with yeah, Prithian, Lucian. It's very fairy. It's very fairy. So we Tamlin. meet recent they, like, all end to with save ends. her from being like, you know, assaulted by this group of fairies. Because she was told, that's another thing. It's like, whatever you do, stay in your room. Talk about being a boring character. I would have been like, no problem. I'll see you tomorrow. Right, I'm going too. to bed. But she's like, I got to go out there for some reason. Like, And she just <laughs> runs out there. And I, in my mind, was like, this is going to be like a 
orgy, right? Like, that's what this is going to be. That's like, what I thought, too. Like, it, it's fairyland. They're going to regenerate all the magic. Like, this oh, is yeah. what this is. And she's going to walk. And he's like, don't come out. Like, don't look. <laughs> <laughs> because he's so noble, right? He just doesn't, he doesn't want her to see him partaking in the orgy. So, um, so but she's like, he's up to something. I'm going to go see almost getting you know putting herself in crazy amounts of danger like some really bad things were being implied were going to happen to her while oh, yeah. she was there if it wasn't for lucian stepping in and although he presents as a bad recent boy, oh pff, my character sheet i have them flipped if you it wasn't for Lucian, like my notes are betraying me i have them switched so, so i go to Prithian stepped in yeah so if it wasn't for recent of printhian descent and from Prithian. From Prithian, recent from Prithian, and, and uh, you know, if it wasn't for him stepping in to save her, but you still have those ominous vibes, like he, he might not. I don't know. <laughs> like it, it, right away, you 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 get the sense of these characters, and that's another Sarah J. Moss like expertise. It's like you can identify and remember characters very easily. Like Lucian has the eyes, so just you know not right their names. Uh, re- uh, <laughs> like I need a little extra help, but most people can get it. No problem. Um, you know, Rishin's the bad boy. And, and so it's easy to kind of remember who these characters are. I can't tell you how many fantasy books I've read. It's like, wait, which character is this versus this versus this? Like, I'm getting a little confused. Well, there's Never not that many confused. is another, that which many. I consider yes, a true. positive. Is like Me too. Me too. Yeah, we don't. There's all these things that Sarah J. Moss is able to figure out. Like, hey, we actually like don't need like a huge cast of characters to tell this story, or at least like not a huge cast of characters that are all important and fleshed out. So it gives us more of a chance to really uh, like tell this story in as like efficient a way as possible and and sometimes does that lead to these characters becoming sort of like paragons of whatever their particular thing is right yeah, like Tamlin right. being this paragon of moral virtue and nobleness mm-hmm. and uh yes is he a stand-in for the beast because like i'll say the amarantha like spell something i thought kind of funny mm-hmm. like you know the beast in beauty and the beast got turned into like a legit beast and couldn't not be a beast uh and then her thing of like i'm gonna make you like not able to use your like handsomeness and how awesome you look by putting a tiny masquerade mask over your eyes it's like uh amarantha like that's not making him unattractive like maybe you should put him in like a giant metal box so she can't see his like super toned six-pack abs like yeah, or like make him put on 50 like, pounds or something like lose the hair you know like right make him balding <laughs> like get rid of the like long flowing blonde locks and the like strong change the pitch jawline. of his voice to be really unappealing <laughs> <laughs> like like he just like took in some helium like, yeah yeah give him like i, an I don't know what her plan kind of voice <laughs> i love you or not that right, 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 yeah. I love you so much. It's like I can't. I'm sorry. Cameron. I love it's you, Lucian. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's the voice. I love you, Prithian. So I think that it's uh, it's I don't know. It's kind of funny because Alice when she's there's that like moment the where Alice just masks, like they're kind of sexy too, right? Like masquerades, right? Oh, the sexy. mystery, yeah, like yeah. the allure. I mean, masquerades have a sort of like sexy connotation to them, even. Yeah. 
general. Like, mm-hmm. if you start... Anyway, uh, I just thought that was kind of funny because it was like Alice has that moment where she goes through, like, all the exposition that right. uh, we have been missing out on. But it's the bias of humans against fairies because of the whole slavery thing. Yeah. Know? That's so. true. I mean, anyway, Alice goes through all that and she's like, and Amarantha wanted to make sure that it was like true love and they weren't just falling for his looks. So she put a tiny mask <laughs> over his head, <laughs> like over just his <laughs> eyes, which you could see were like a beautiful glowing green, right? The green. Uh, sure. Green. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, wait. I, I wasn't totally focusing on the eyes, thought. if you know what I mean. <laughs> whoa oh yeah well there, it is funny you see the moments where it's like you can see in the prose what differentiates this from what would be un, like non-romance fantasy that like happens to have romance in it mm-hmm. uh if that makes sense like uh you can see the uh I, I consider almost like a female gaze, right? Like we talk about male gaze all <laughs> right, the time because right, that's right. super prominent in something like, let's say, a show that we really love, Game of Thrones. It's like oh, yeah. it very clearly has a male gaze in terms of what it chooses to show and where mm. the camera's looking and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then this kind of seems to have the opposite and just the pros. Uh, I don't know if that's the opposite. I mean, it's just what would fit into like what I would call female gaze where the prose emphasizes certain things that you just wouldn't emphasize in a like non-romance book. Mm-hmm. And they make sense. This is a fancy romance, but it's like uh, you'd see, I'd highlight these things where it's like Tamlin's glorious body was honed by centuries of fighting and brutality and just like that (laughs) adjective glorious getting thrown in there might be not present in some of the other books that we read and that that's a literal quote um but there's Mm. a bunch of like tamlin he wore those warrior's clothes cut close to show off his toned body and three simple knives are now sheathed along his baldric each long enough to look like it could gut me as easily as his beast's claws it's like you see these right Right? (laughs) so it's yeah, it's just like some of those moments. And it's funny, too, because I, I read it on Kindle, like I said, and you can see on Kindle what things get highlighted the most. And <laughs> it goes to, like, remind you of, like, who are these books most for? Who are, the, like, right, what are right, the readers right. most looking for? Because it's not like the critical pieces of world building that are getting highlighted. It is more like the, there's a one line where it's like, he smiled at me still, broadly and without restraint or hesitation. Isaac had never smiled at me like that. Isaac had <laughs> never made my breath catch just a little bit. And it's like, that's like, right, right, and right. the reader base is like, highlight. Like, <laughs> but it's like, yeah, right, right. <laughs> like, that would not be the thing that gets highlighted in some other books that we read that are less romance focused. And I'm not criticizing. I'm just saying it's it's interesting to see that pop up in the, the Kindle, like common highlights thing makes it kind of like more obvious and it might be in other formats of reading. Right, right. And it's kind of funny because 
you, you talked about it. if this was like the male gaze, it'd be like she breasted breastily and like right. <laughs> and her breasts she had they... perfect hips where she could have kids right. if she wanted to, but you could tell that she never had. <laughs> you know, it's like that kind of like weird. Oh you're yeah. like, what are we talking Super about? Cringy. Yeah, right. But um, and this doesn't get creepy with it at all. It's just kind of funny, like no. reading books from different perspectives for different perspectives than the one you necessarily like identify with. So for me, I'm reading this. And I'm reminded of like the Lifetime movies that someone like my mother would watches and loves where it's like, ooh, I'm a girl from the country and my car breaks down and someone comes and helps me. And he's like super chiseled and super nice. And he's like, oh, you know, let me take you to my castle. Did I mention I'm a prince and I love my family? <laughs> and and like, you know, these there's these lines. I forget. Oh, where's the quote in the book? But it was something like. You spent so much time taking care of others. Have you ever stopped to like, has anyone ever appreciated you? And it's like, oh, okay. Like, I could see the appeal here. I could see some target demos being uh, reached out to with some of these lines. And it's great. And you know, I was able to be entertained and moved by it as well. You know, it's certainly not like I was looking at that and being like, nope, not for me. Uh-uh. Like some of those lines are truly spicy and and it's interesting to get that other perspective. And I think in a genre like fantasy, it's important to to have a lot of those different perspectives, too, because we're always trying to, like, explore humanity through the fantastic. So getting some of those different approaches to this, like, eternal love romance, like, high court kind of stuff was juicy and entertaining and, and just the fact that it appealed I, I was kind of like laughing at certain parts I was like this is kind of funny but I'm like I know who I'd recommend this to I know who would love it at the same time <laughs> wow so is uh, Rosemary getting a recommendation here for to, I don't know if this is read. a book you recommend to your mom but it is certainly a book you would recommend to your significant other <laughs> or maybe a co-worker the, or something can we get that in like one, one of the quotes on the, <laughs> the, front of the book I, I don't know if this is a book you recommend to your mom <laughs> charles from friends talking but podcast. if she were to discover it on her own and read it i think she would like it am i going to say hey mom read this probably not like, that might send some mixed messages yeah 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 there's just some things i'm not ready to like you know start bringing to my mom's attention on my own you know but if someone else does great like that's fantastic but me i'm, I'm good so uh, well, i'm not gonna recommend like... it to her either that i don't want to send those messages myself so yeah let's... i'm sure she's aware of it she's she's aware no book makes the bestsellers list without her her notice so i'm sure she knows uh, but uh, anyway, they get to the point of like, it's kind of fun to read a romance from that perspective, right? And a lot of romances are yes. typically, it's just like to read one with such mass appeal and, you know, it, it just reminded me of mass a Mass appeal. Ooh, yeah, now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> it had a lot of mass appeal for sure. Yeah, and let's, uh, I mean, a lot of people probably want to hear us talk about our reactions to the spiciness of it. Mm -hmm. I'll say that my first impression of the whole thing is if this series didn't have a reputation for like, this is such a spicy series, right, I'd be right. like, all right, there's some spice in this book, but I would not be like, oh, damn, like, <laughs> this is the spiciest book ever. Just like, this is a, like, clear a romance, and Sarah J. Moss does not shy away from, like, 
you know, writing a full sex scene and things like that where other authors might fade to black, she gets into the details. But we've seen that before from books that we would not call fantasy romance, maybe with not with as much detail. But I want to give Sarah J. Moss credit. Like these scenes don't read as like cringeworthy at they're not all. like, like the, for like a better word like a trash novel you know where you just want to read like the dirty words and and just where two characters having sex all the time and in explicit detail you know it's not that right but not book. only is it not that it's also not the other side of things where like we've read and you know even relatively uh, within let's say the last uh, uh year or so but we've mm-hmm. read other books that have sex scenes in them and mm. are more like a let's say straightforward fantasy book and not emphasizing the romance and then like the words sometimes that they'll choose <laughs> i'm sure you know the yeah, one I'm yeah about. i, I know wanna, exactly i don't want to say the, the book about. i'm criticizing but uh, it's uh yeah though like the word choice would be really strange and like take you out of it and like weirdly like technical words to describe <laughs> uh, certain body parts like the that like vulgarity and, kind of in a way that kind of takes you out of it a little bit right and those you can tell they just don't feel like a sex scene written by someone with a deft hand for that and even this author I'm talking about I think writes really well in mm. other aspects of their writing but. Sarah J. Moss, I don't know. They just, they flow and they're they're well written. They do and flow, I can yeah. see why, because it's like you don't, if this is a book that's supposed to have these spicy aspects to it that are enjoyable for, you know, why people read spice, it's mm. like uh, the, and we ain't talking Dune here, Charles, all right? <laughs> the <laughs> spice melange. <laughs> it's not that spice. <laughs> it, it's, uh, if they're going to be enjoyable, you can't write them in ways that make people like, forget their reading or sorry remember their reading and roll their eyes and be like wait what is that like what right. is that word right so props I agree. to sarah j Moss. and, and I, I think that's us coming in you know uh what is it this was, book was published in 2015 so coming in eight years later and having this huge reputation for the whole series yeah. i was kind of surprised too i thought the um romance was and those like the sex scenes were rather restrained and i thought for sure because everyone says this is a romance book with fairies this and that and um i was like well there's really only like one really grand sex scene and there's a bunch of other moments and there's a lot of budding romance and and suspense and i don't know what's the word for suspense for romance so it's where it's just this like budding romance i guess you could say the sexual tension right it's all there like there's moments where they have these like meet cute things it's funny because i'm reading this knowing it's a juicy romance yeah and all of a sudden it's like the like and he was super mean to me and stormed off and i was like but then he like you know, held the door or he left paint in my room or something. I'm like, ooh, it's happening. And it's mm-hmm. just like the anticipation of it. So I, I think there's some of that. And then it's like, okay, that was like a juicy sex scene. But the, his book's not about 
that. And sure, there's like a fairy orgy, and sure, there's like all this <laughs> sure, other stuff. But it's very, it's very restrained, you know. It's a, it's a restrained fairy orgy. It, it's not a book like that. I would necessarily say is smut, right? It's nowhere near that. No. Nowhere near it. And the romance that's in here, you know, it, it's it's very good, but it doesn't, I think, shift the whole genre. And I think that's what Sarah J. Moss was like able to construct a best-selling novel because she was able to pull on these genre elements. Like she pulled on the fantasy genre without being like too deep dive into fantasy. And then she's pulling on the romance with again out without like blowing it out of the water, right? And she's pulling on Beauty and the Beast and Twilight and and whatever else she may be pulling on at the time. And and she, she constructs her story very, very well. Now, my understanding is from people that have read these stories and talked yes. to me that it picks up quick. And they're just like, trust <laughs> me, starting with like book two, your tone will change on all of this. Because I've told people, I'm like, I'm kind of surprised. It's not that sexy. And they're like, okay, just wait like a book and it will get way progressively more you know i'm gonna say erotic but i don't know how erotic it gets Ooh. but my understanding is is it it, it it only increases with books it's my understanding yeah that's what i've heard as well i think that this book obviously you're in the first person point of view of pharaoh the entire time you can't have the two characters like have sex, like have sexual interactions really early in the book because mm-hmm. that you need that sexual tension so to true. be so built true. toward the whole time. So even if Wasn't Sergeant it like what Abraham wanting, Lincoln said, if I have two hours to chop a tree, I'm spending the first hour sharpening the axe or something like that. <laughs> uh, I don't or, think that was. I don't know, Charles. Maybe just don't. Yeah, don't. uh, Don't trust everything you read on the internet. Isn't there that famous like pseudo Lincoln quote that's like, "Don't don't believe everything you read on the internet." Abraham Lincoln. Well, maybe follow his advice uh, in that Uh, sense. I'm gonna Google it. You can take a look. It's one of those things where it's like, hey, if you're gonna make a really great sex scene, you need a lot of build up and suspense. That's all I'm saying. Yes, I agree with the sentiment there. And I'll also say, though, I do appreciate that Sarah J. Moss, like, went the way with her uh, young woman protagonist where, like, she doesn't have the character. What is going on over there, Charles? It is Abraham Lincoln. Thank you very much. Give me six hours to chop down a tree and I will spend the first four sharpening the axe. Abraham Lincoln. Now, let's see if I can get a very good source on that. But that's what the Internet says. And you have to trust the Internet, as Abraham Lincoln also says. That's true. And now this will be on the Internet. Sam Hinkie used this. Hold on. It's the validity is in question, but I'm doing more research. As you were, as you were. Yeah, I'll fill the dead air. I'll say that. It's I do appreciate that Sarah J. Moss had the character like not a virgin at the start of the book, but just because I feel like that's a whole nother like kind of for me, a thing I don't I don't enjoy the like pearl clutching around the like he took my innocence stuff that that can kind of play out in yeah. uh, all of this. Like it's a kind of like virginity is a kind of tired social construct in in my opinion uh, and one that. I, I appreciate that she just is like, oh, yeah, she had kind of a romantic partner already. Uh, gives her a little bit of experience. It takes away a little bit from the, like, uh, potential cringe of this, like, 
grooming feeling stuff that could be playing out uh and yeah it just avoids the like pearl clutching around the uh, the social construct of virginity that to me is like i don't really want to read too much about (laughs) right right and that was taken care of right away at the beginning of this book too which is like okay good like let's get past that aspect yeah Yeah, I agree completely. And that brings us to, you know, I want to make sure we have plenty of time to talk about the end here where we are brought into the, is it the, like, they're under the mountain? Under the mountain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Under the mountain and where we, you know, go through the trials because I have some opinions about the trials and and Amarantha's (laughs) riddle. And I texted you immediately. I was like... (laughs) Dude, this is the worst riddle ever. This is so, this is love. Like, the answer is love. Like, I was, before right. I even finished reading it, like, the first couple lines, I was like, I'm going to assume that because of the kind of book this is, that the answer is love, and we can, let's just call it a day here and be done. And yeah, then it, and the book ended, and you're like, oh, like, come on, let's go. Yeah, this is, yeah, I had the same reaction. I, like, leaned over and said my partner I was like the answer's riddle is love and it's like some of it is just the context of the book they're reading and other parts are just like i don't know what else could it be and the riddle's not a great riddle even with the answer being yeah. love like it's not like a good riddle you're like oh you know yeah. like when the answer Clever. comes out you have this like oh i get it it's just like love it doesn't make you react in that way it doesn't it's like a good riddle is like uh, um what's black and white and red all over right a penguin in a blend the answer what what it's a newspaper charles (laughs) it's a newspaper right right (laughs) right exactly because it's red all over Uh, yes clever uh, clever right so it, it makes you like think oh so I, I leaned over my partner. I was like, "This is love," and I was, I was like, "It's either love or a newspaper." That's it's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All, well, there's that famous those. riddle where the answer is nothing, right? Where it's super long and like, oh, it's this, but also this, and this, and also that, and it's the yeah. answer is very abstract. It's nothing, you know. And you're like, oh, that is correct. Um, and so you're like, okay, like it's gonna be that kind of a riddle, you know? So. Um. Yeah, it was fine, and then it gave me very much like the ring fell into Mount Doom, like in the movies, and all of a sudden, all the whole orc army just fell <laughs> into nothing. You're like, all of a sudden, this is all just undone in one motion. It's like, really, is that what's gonna happen right now? Like, literally, everything's gonna be course corrected because she said the word love, and like, we're done. Uh, but what, as much as I like to criticize the riddle and that moment where everything just kind of wrapped up all nice and everything got resolved really fast without a payoff that really felt validated or earned, again, it comes back to Sarah J. Moss's pacing and this whole thing. Like, well, the story has to end. It has to end happy. So who cares that she solved the riddle, you know? But what I liked was she She undercut it. She also completed the trials, though, which, like, if she'd wanted to not... And yeah. that that was earned, and that was, I'm sure that's what you're about to get into. Yes, yes. Like, there's a part of that trial that is very interesting from a plot perspective. Yes. And it's also, and leads into stuff that'll be interesting, I'm sure, in future books, and also is 
like the trial stuff feels earned. Yes. And she makes sacrifices to get through it. So it's like kind of Sarah J. Yeah. Moss, she wants to like have her cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Where she wants the whole trial stuff, but she also wants this like moment where she says love and everything. Yeah, and she wants to be uh, like, kill to- Tamlin. And it's like, okay, Tamlin's obviously not going to die right now. So, so you know. But it was juicy. It was juicy. I love that trial. And that's what I'm going to say. Like, she undercut it. You're exactly right, Dylan. That's exactly where I was going. She undercut that stupid riddle. It, like, say, end all, be all. Like, flip the whole story, end it on a dime. Like, tool that she used. But she undercut it all by having her go through the trials, stumble through the trials. And the last trial is like, okay, literally pick up a dagger and stab this person. And do that three times. And also the last one is Tamlin. And she does it. She stabs each person and they're like begging for their lives and praying and stuff and just straight up murders (laughs) them. And then like think of how much suffering, not to mention all that time she spent, you know, drinking fairy wine and selling her soul basically, her body anyway, to uh, Lucian there. A recent, recent. Selling her, selling her <laughs> soul to, no selling her soul to recent, and you know, it's like all of that could have been avoided if she just said love at the beginning when you and I were like, okay, the answer is right. love. But it's like, no, we have to. She go She also through. lacks the context of being in a Sarah J. Moss book. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, in her oh, defense, yeah, like I'm not saying anything like we knew partially because it's like this is. This is a Sarah J. Moss fancy romance. The answer is love. She doesn't the have the privilege that. The minute they constructed that. it like you could do the trials or solve the riddle, I'm like, so she's going to solve the riddle after doing yeah. all the trials, right? And it's like, of course she is. So it's like, okay, let's not waste any more time than that developing it, you know? And I'm cool with that because what we got as she completed the trials were very interesting and exciting. And she, like this is, again, when we talked about in the first act here, Feyre's like, unlikability there's also this stumbling through making every mistake which a lot of fantasy main characters just don't do and here she is like failing and she makes this agreement with Rishin where she was told not to but you know she got all busted up and she needed the help and and even Lucian was like I could have come and helped you and she was like I didn't know that so now it's like a week of her life every month she's got to hang out with this guy it's like bro that is brutal and hard to revoke from like a world building setup it's like when I'm reading this as like a fantasy enthusiast who has to talk about this on a show with his friend later i'm like how is she gonna like have her character agree to this without undoing it somehow it's such a huge irreparable thing and i was feeling the stakes of that like whoa she said yes to that like those are heavy stakes and then in the third thing where she has to kill people i'm like she's literally straight up killing multiple people like the stakes here are so crazy and then like they end up saving the day anyway and it all could have been prevented which i think adds to the weight of her choice it's like she only figured out the riddle and then also she figured out that tamlin had a stone heart which is like okay you could figure out the answer to the riddle was love but you somehow yeah, this was way hard remember that this the heart was stone like that wasn't even on my radar i was like who cares like, <laughs> i remember like what two she lines said. there's still one which was more good secret. foreshadowing yeah it's like there's still like one more secret that we can't tell you so it must be holding out for her and i was like okay i'll try and keep an ear out for that but i never 
even was paying attention to it. And so I'm like, oh, is Hearthstone okay? It ends up not really being a huge deal anyway. It's like, I can stab him and he can't die. And, and you know, I win the trials. So it's like, uh And then it's like, oh, but the trials didn't have a time limit, but the riddle did. And you're like, what? It's just like wrapped up a little too pretty with the bow at the end but it was all it was worth it to get what we got which was you know how many times at the end did our main character Feyre be like I killed two people I killed two people she must have said it like 60 times in that last chapter she's like oh I get to be with Tamlin and he's so sexy and I'm I'm a fairy now too by the way it's like literally all my (laughs) dreams come true but I literally killed two people I'm traumatized so it's like that's actually to me very 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 interesting and also i've got to go to this guy's court once a week for the rest of uh, one week a month every month for the rest of my life and that is also interesting and and i'm and i'm impressed that sarah j moss would make those kind of really intense artistic choices for her character and for her story because they were very brutal and intense and that's four people and then the fifth one was that character whose name she gave up to um oh yes that's the fifth person who died for the relationship to yes recent claire Reeson, or something yeah she gives the what? name to this character oh, yes and then Rishin she gives the name to Rishin claire or something mm-hmm. claire that person something, gets brutally right? tortured and killed oh, terribly. you're like whoa dude like that's five people that have to die horrible deaths torturous deaths some more than others claire takes the cake i would say in terms of a horrible torturous death but none of them were pleasant and uh, there was at least five there that had to go through that specifically directly tied to Feyre and Tamlin's relationship. So we'll see if that puts any weight on their relationship in future installments of the series, won't we, Dylan? <laughs> we definitely will. But I want to go back to what you're saying about Sarah J. Moss's interesting and I think well done choice to have have Feyre's like, killing of the innocent fairies go the way that it did. And I feel like we've got two typical ways that something like this plays out. There's the fantasy hero that's too noble to actually right. do Fails it. The so they step aside the riddle. and they solve the riddle, right? Mm-hmm. They solve the riddle. Oh, like, great. I avoided killing the innocent people. Bada bing, bada boom, and she had that opportunity. Bob's your to... uncle. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> she, she had the opportunity to do that. Like Sarah J. Moss had the opportunity to have her character do that, and she chose not to. Second, there's the way of they kill the people, but maybe they weren't so innocent after all, or something of that nature, right? Some kind of cop out. Or just straight up the characters like, I see I had to do that for the greater good and I'm not traumatized by it. Like there's some <laughs> right. version of that. And that's right. also more typical than what Sarah J. Or Moss like you killed them, but then you solve the riddle and they come back to life. Right. And they're like, sure. thank we forgive you for doing that. Like we or like we sacrifice ourselves <laughs> willingly, you know, like they were not they're not begging for their lives and crying. Right. They're not little kids or or like young women or something with people crying in the audience they're like we volunteered ourselves like sure. i would do it my like he leaned into the knife i just held it and he leaned into it and he was like for fairyland and then killed himself you know <laughs> like that could have also happened like how many times do we have human sacrifices and stories sure. you know for magic rituals all the time it's usually some nameless faceless person or it's usually someone in a horror scene that's being 
scooped up. So it's interesting in the setting. Like you said, it could have gone so many ways, but it went the most like horrific, brutal, like intense way for the character. Oh, if, you know, if Amarantha was truly brutal, she should have like had her work her way up on the people that she actually like interacted oh, with, right? You yeah, start with yeah. Alice, next you go to Lucian, Lucian and to then Tamlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you go Alice first. Or you, or you just go with John C. Riley uh, <laughs> first. Yeah, <laughs> who, right. Who young then John Will C. Riley, then Will Ferrell, <laughs> and then Tamlin. But yeah. I think anyway, the point I'm trying to make and how I'm trying to praise Sarah J. Moss's choice here is that it, those were two easy out templates that she mm-hmm. could have followed. Instead, Sarah J. Moss goes away of like, no, I'm having my character actually do this. And I'm going to have my character actually have the kind of reaction that makes the most sense when someone does this. I'm going to have my character be traumatized by this. And we don't get the true Disney Beauty and the Beast uh, happily ever after in the most like perfect sense. Because we have a character that is highly like faced a lot of costs and irrevocable stuff like you mentioned uh, you don't you can't unkill the fairies you can't unkill claire you right. can't and i thought maybe like there's going to be your... this loophole where oh because she died her agreement with recent is now null and void but nope she still has mm. to like do that too if i was her i'd be like i need a fairy lawyer right now because i think <laughs> i think i am within my right to terminate this contract here you made that deal with fairer the human she died bro i'm uh, uh of the fairy which you know say that 10 times fast and um <laughs> You gotta get this eye off my hand. Yeah, I can't even say Prithian off. one time slow. So <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not, I'm not gonna try to time. say that ten times fast. <laughs> right. So yeah, I agree. Now, and also, what's interesting is all the things that she's done that deals with recent the the killing of these fae. There are things that Tamlin wouldn't necessarily like or agree with too. And you know that's gonna cause stress on their relationship because it's like every time I'm with you, I have to stare at that eye on your hand. It's freaking me out, you know? Like this yeah. things like that that, you know, recent knowingly did those things to to get at Tamlin, right? But it's like that's going to weigh on their relationship. And then the kind of person that we know Feyre is, who's very caring and nurturing, is having to go to bed every day knowing that she killed two innocent people in cold blood, you know, and there's no one doing that. So, so easily could have been undone. All these contracts could have been voided, could have been so squeaky clean, but Sarah J. Moss knows better than to, than to treat us like that and instead give us some really juicy, complicated relationships here. And also some entertaining stuff in all it's like, gory details and 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 his implications with our main character's romance too so uh, i i'm I'm very impressed i'm very impressed as well charles i think that i i come away understanding why the hype is where it's at and i think Mm -hmm. that's a big thing that we were coming in wondering about this experience because for us it was like we got to figure out what is all the fuss about yeah. with these books. Mm-hmm. And there is a version of this where he came in where I'm like, ah, I don't know. I don't get it. But right. that's not where I'm at. I'm at a place right. where I'm like, oh, yeah, like it's 
really readable it's really entertaining it's got the spiciness but not like especially in the first book not so much for people to be like i don't know if i'm ready for this you know she gets the foot mm-hmm. in the door uh, uh with this one i'm sure she knocks the whole thing down uh mm-hmm. <laughs> by going super spicy in the next ones but at yeah. that time you're already hooked and mm-hmm. it's got the romance it's like a reasonably sized book uh, and it's got these aspects to it that are special and different and choices that sarah j moss made that a lot of authors would not have made and then of course all the other just plot and world building and character elements that make it a fantastic fantasy uh, story in itself outside of all of these uh, romance elements that we uh, often think about when we think about these books so it makes total sense. These books are a like natural fit for a hugely popular Moss Appeal story. <laughs> well said, Dylan. Moss Appeal, indeed. Always a pleasure reading new authors and, and new stories on the show. And this was no exception. So, you know, A Court of Thorns and Roses... Highly, you know, I highly recommend. And like what you said, Dylan, we knew something was up with it being a huge bestseller, the amount of attention it gets online, the fact that it has more like Goodreads ratings than all the other stories we pitched combined. It's like, okay, something's going on here. And it lived up to that. And that is like, you know, as glowing of an endorsement as I know how to give because she's already her whole success precedes her in this case. So um, we're just piling on at this point. So uh, the best yeah. endorsement you gave was I don't think that I would recommend. I don't know if this is the kind of book that I would recommend to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Not your mama's fantasy story. That's for sure. <laughs> I mean, she'd but, love it, but just uh, yeah, that's a would. good way to get at the the spicy aspects of it. But I, I think we've only scratched the surface of, mm-hmm. uh, of the spice. Will we read more? I think that's up to the response we get for this because we have to we gotta jump ahead to Robin Hobb, Assassin's Apprentice, and we are reading all three books in that. Because unlike Court of Thorns and Roses, Assassin's Apprentice is not really a contained story. You gotta read all three. So we're gonna read all three, and then we'll see if we end up coming back to the Court of Thorns and Roses series. Um uh, I'm open to it. Um, I just am curious to see what their reception and interest in this episode is like before we just commit to that. But uh, yeah. I would be happy you to hear it. us talk about the rest of it. You want to convince Charles? I'm, I'm <laughs> probably going to read the rest of the series anyway. I don't know if I'm going to dive right into right. book two. But I, my, my general plan is I'm going to f- finish this series. I think yeah you gotta you gotta get charles on board though listeners (laughs) and the way that you do that is by uh, showing up listening to this episode but then sharing it with your friends and uh, on the court of thorns and roses subreddit and our fantasy (laughs) subreddit too whatever else yeah you know twitter and instagram and all of those uh tiktok which is probably the one I should have said before all of the other ones, but you know that I'm clearly out of touch. And uh, yeah, that's that's how you do it. And I think with that, Charles, I don't know if there's anything left to do, but play that sweet, sweet outro music and and tell folks how to find us on some of those platforms I just (sighs) mentioned. I would agree, Dylan. Let's go ahead and get that sweet, sweet outro music pumping.
thank you all one and all for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the friends talking fantasy podcast if you like what you heard today and you want us to read more of the court of thorns and roses series let us know over on the socials that's at the ftf podcast on instagram and at the ftf podcast with number one at the end on twitter now dylan if they like what they heard today and they want to support the show even more than just engaging with us on social media what can they do five stars to our podcast which you can do now on spotify it's just two clicks over at the top of the friends talking fantasy podcast feed and helps us so much when you do that you can also rate and or review on apple Podcasts. that review you can write nice things about us and that always puts a smile on my face and presumably on charles's face as well but just listening is more than enough thank you so much for doing just listening guys dylan you presumed correctly big smile on my face thank you so much for making it all the way to the end thank you thank you thank you and as always go forth and conquer friends